Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we present true personal stories about science. I am your host, Liz Neely, and this week we're presenting stories about scientists in love. I admit I am such a sucker for these stories, and this is such a fun episode. Passion? Oh, we've got it. Emotions? All the emotions. We have scientists experiencing strong feelings, analyzing those feelings in great detail, and then talking about them. It is Story Collider at its very best. So uh, let's get into it. Our first story today is from Soreen Choksi. It was recorded in March 2020 at Le Poisson Rouge in New York City. The theme of that night was Brains, Brains, Brains. So it was uh, February 14th, 2015, Valentine's Day, obviously, and uh, I was a little nervous, I was a little anxious. I went to go knock on her door. I'd been dating, we'll call her Caitlin, for one month, and uh, I think starting to date someone in January is a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, because you don't think ahead, you just think, oh, it's cold, I want a spoon. You know, you're not factoring it all out. You go on a few dates, you get to know each other, and then Valentine shows up with its authoritarian heart candy. I love you. And you're like, oh, calm down. Where is the chill, relaxed candy that just says, we've known each other a few weeks. You seem pretty cool. When I met Caitlin, she was writing her dissertation, um, Brainwaves, A Cultural History. Oscillations in neuroscience, technology, telepathy, and transcendence. Clearly, she was way, way, way smarter than me, you know? Uh, you ever try to read something and you just can't? I mean, your brain's like, I can't do this. Like, you see the words, but your brain's like, no. And Caitlin was very smart. She had an undergrad degree in neuroscience, uh, master's in journalism, PhD from Columbia University. She was gonna have five degrees, you guys. I just had two. DUIs, so I knew I was outclassed. Um, but sometimes I'd be like, hey, I'm smart too, right? And she'd say, sure, buddy. <laughs> sure you are. Uh, we used to talk on the phone a lot, and Caitlin would tell me about the history of science or how neurons worked, you know, sexy talk. And uh, what really got my synapses sizzling was when we would chat about consciousness. So the f one of my favorite thoughts Caitlin put into my head was, you can never actually know someone else's subjective internal experience. Right? Oh, wow, what fun, right? Oh, some people got off on it like I did, you know? 
And isn't that wild? Like you can't actually know someone else's mind. So when you first start dating someone, you're already worrying. Does she like me? What is she thinking? Why didn't she put a smiley emoji on the end of that text? But now I was also wondering, is her experience of the color blue the same as my experience of the color blue? You can't know, you know? You can't even know if other people are actually conscious. Ah. Uh. You know? Like you all, I, I don't know. Maybe you're just empty shells with convincing exterior facades. But in here, nothing. You know? Just a bunch of zombies, story collider listening zombies. Like you're smiling and laughing, but maybe there's nothing going on. I, I can't know. Like, uh, I don't know, ma'am, are you a zombie? Are you conscious? Exactly what a zombie might say. You can't know. And I would have conversations like this with Caitlin. I'd be like, are you a zombie? And she would say, no, I'm conscious, 100%. Are you conscious? And I'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> and she would say, that's troubling. It's, I guess, not good when you're, the woman you're dating has to perform a Turing test on you and you fail over and over. So I had all this stuff going in on my head, you know, uh, on Valentine's. This, uh, Valentine's, the pressure from the date, uh, you know, the color blue, uh, am I a zombie? Um, but you know, I was like excited for it. I was trying real hard. I, I, had, I had a button down jacket combo on. I had Timberlands on for that extra inch of height. Uh, I brought flowers and I knocked on the door. Caitlin opened it and I saw for the big night she was dressed amazingly casual, you know, sweatpants, sweatshirt, full body sweats. Unemployed gym teacher vibes. I guess that's like the PhD student dress code. And uh, she saw what I was wearing. She was like, oh, you wanted to like do all that. And then I realized like, oh man, robo science girl isn't like me. She's not worried about a Hallmark holiday. She just wanted to hang out. But she still threw on a black dress and she brushed her hair out. She put my flowers in old Tupperware from Chinese takeout. I remember looking at it being like, oh, there sits my romantic gesture where wonton soup once made its home. <laughs> and, you know, we go together to get dinner, and as we eat mediocre sog paneer, Caitlin starts telling me that she's not really into dressing up, and unless it's for new sneakers, she doesn't like shopping. And my brain was like, what? Because, okay, I understood that I can't know the... Uh, mind of the person sitting across from me, but I figured like I could rely on a few truths about the genders, you know, because I had learned most of what I knew about men and women and our differences from watching Comedy Central in 1993. <laughs> you know, men like or women like stuff and feelings, and men hate feelings. We love logic and blowjobs. All men want is rational fellatio. You know, that's what I had gathered. And, uh, you know, the way comics talked, it just seemed like all of these differences between men and women, that was wired into us deep. Like, that was in our brains. It was biological. And I just figured that boys' brains were made out of wood and screws, and girl brains were pink and assembled from uh, macaroons and lace. You know, that's... I thought that was science. And 
So when Caitlin said she didn't like shopping, I was like, <laughs> but women be shopping, you know? <laughs> she was messing up the way I viewed the world and because of all this brain stuff she would tell me and just the way she was. So we, uh, we finished our meal and then I was feeling very perplexed as usual and I had no idea what she was thinking. And we went back to her place and the topic changed to sex. And uh, look, we're all adults, right? Um, you know, I, Caitlin and I had already developed a physical relationship. And uh, normally the pattern that had emerged was she was usually on top, which I didn't mind that because I'm not a spry man. And <laughs> she would also usually close her eyes. Where was she going? I did not know. Um, I never got a ticket to Narnia. I never got to ride on Aslan's head. I wasn't invited. I had slept with other women in my life and uh, they too had usually closed their eyes. Where were they going? I did not know. <laughs> I had wondered if I was ever with two women at the same time and they both closed their eyes, would they meet each other in this new fantastical world? Yeah, they'd be like, hey, glad we got rid of old idiot boy. So I one time timed it so that when Caitlin opened her eyes, I was doing this, which did not enhance the romantic experience, right? So we're talking and we're talking and I start telling Caitlin my thoughts inspired by Paul Reiser about men and women's sexual fantasies. And I, I go, you know, men were very simple. You know, you ask any man what his sexual fantasy is, all dudes were very simple, they'll give you a simple answer. Two chicks, that's it. A threesome, that's it. And you can be like, but is there a backstory? Is there an environment? And dudes are like, I don't know, man, we fucking in a white room, dog. I really don't know, you know? It's like where they build Intel processors. I really don't know. And you can be like, but this is your fantasy. You can have anything you want, anything in the whole wide world. Your imagination is your playground. And dudes are like, all right, like three chicks, okay? That's, don't push my mind anymore. And Caitlin's just listening to me and she's like, okay. And I go, women though, oh, women, women, women. <laughs> Women's fantasies are dark, they're emotional. I think they're quite frightening to be honest. And uh, Caitlin goes, oh really, yeah, of course. No, you're totally right, men and women, we have totally different brains for fantasizing, totally different sections of our brains. And she goes, do you wanna hear my sexual fantasy? And I was scared, but I was like, yeah. <laughs> and Caitlin goes, it was Salem, Massachusetts, 1698. <laughs> Shut up. The townspeople have accused me of being a witch and an adulteress. Both accusations are true. Shut up. I've been tied to a cross in the middle of the town square. The local blacksmith shouts, Hawk, light a fire! The flames are beginning to grow. The smoke is billowing in the air. From afar, I see a lone woodsman begin to approach. He only has one arm. Shut up, it doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter, he lost it in a windmill accident. Shut up. The flames are growing higher and higher. I begin to feel a heap, not from the fire, but from within my own loins. Shut up. Now the woodsman is so close. He begins to caress my body with his one 
stubby, elbow. I was like, oh no. What happens next? And Caitlin just goes, I don't know, by then I usually open my eyes and there you are going. So she was just messing with me, you know? She was like, dude, that's how you think our brains work? You think like all men fantasize one way and all women fantasize one way? That's what you really think? She was like, do you want to know my real sexual fantasy? And I was afraid. <laughs> but I said yes. And she just goes, three dudes, motherfucker! So I, I, I just want to thank uh, Dr. Caitlin Schur for helping me write that story. Uh, all the best jokes were hers, and uh, also for marrying me despite my very bad brain. Thank you guys so much. That was Soreen Choksi. Choksi generally goes by his last name, Choksi, which is why I'm calling him that. <laughs> he is a comedian in New York City. He recently wrote on the staff for the Facebook and Refinery29 talk show, After After Party. He's also worked at Comedy Central Digital and is the past winner of the Boston Comedy Festival. His stand-up has been featured on Laughs on Fox TV and Sirius XM Radio. He has performed at numerous comedy festivals and has hosted a TV show on Fuse TV called White Guy Talk Show. He also created internet videos for Seriously TV and is a proud alumni of Chicago's Lincoln Lodge. Choksi produces and hosts two acclaimed live stand-up showcases in Brooklyn, Comedians You Should Know NYC and Brown Privilege Comedy. Choxy relaxes by sewing, crafting, and making stuff. You should check out his website. His felt stuff is really cool. He loves his wife, his family, and four of his friends. He thinks you should be nice to yourself and is impressed by your power. And so am I. Thanks, Choxy. Before we go to the next story, I just wanted to take a quick minute and make sure that you know what Story Collider is up to these days because I'm pretty excited about it. So you might know we have our online shows. Those are still happening and they're amazing. We're also starting to feature storytellers and our producers from all of our regular home show cities. And even better, once a month, you have the opportunity to throw your name in the hat and pitch a story in our story slam. Uh, you can check out our website at storycollider.org slash shows for the schedule. We'll see you online. And that's not the only thing that we're doing online these days either. I am so pleased with the way that we have taken apart all of our intensive training to help scientists and other people figure out how to tell personal stories about science. We took the workshops that used to be offered in person from half day up to three day long intensives. We've broken it all down and built it again stronger and better for online delivery. So now you can commission a story collider workshop for your lab, your department, your organization, or for the first time ever, you personally can sign up as an individual. Our next cohort starts August 10th, and I will be leading that training. I would love to have you join us. You can find out more at storycollider.org workshops. Okay, let's get back to it, though. Misha here. 
If you enjoy our episodes on career pathways in healthcare or the STEM field at large, then I have the perfect podcast recommendation for you, Raising Health. Previously called BioEats World, Raising Health comes from leading venture capital firm Andreessen Horowitz, the same team behind the acclaimed A16Z podcast. Each episode, Raising Health dives deep into the heart of healthcare, biotech, and AI with venture capital investors and A16Z general partners. Along the way, they explore the real challenges and opportunities in health and biotech entrepreneurship. So whether you're interested in building a new digital healthcare company or your company is advancing a new novel medicine, Raising Health sheds light on some of the opportunities and obstacles along the founder's journey. Not to mention, you'll hear raw insights, actionable advice from notable guests like Omada CEO and co-founder Sean Duffy, an AI expert and in CEO Daphne Kohler. Don't miss out. Follow Raising Health on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and tell them I sent you. Our next story today about love is from Wendy Suzuki. It was recorded in February 2020 at Union Hall in Brooklyn, New York. The theme of the show that night was the science of sex and love. So the first day of my freshman year at UC Berkeley, I learned something that was going to change my life. I learned that the experiences that you have in your life, who you see, who you meet, what you learn, actually can change the anatomy, physiology, and function of your brain. And I thought that was the most fascinating thing I had ever heard in my entire life. Well, I didn't realize it, but just two years later, in my junior year, I was going to have my own life-changing experience when I decided to do something I had always wanted to do. I was going to spend my third year abroad in France. And I could tell the moment I stepped off that plane that the food and the language and the cigarette smoke was going to change my life. You have to remember, in 1985, nobody spoke English in France, so I was completely immersed. And as part of this year adventure, I wanted music to be part of it. I was playing a lot of piano at that point, and I asked that the home that I stayed in for that year have a piano. And so one afternoon, Madame Merle asked me to be home at 3 p.m. because she had asked the piano tuner to come and tune the piano that was in my bedroom. I had recently arrived. And so I was sitting there on the second floor waiting for the white-haired old grand-père to walk up the stairs and tune my piano. When to my surprise, a hot young French guy named Francois with wavy brown hair walked up the stairs to tune my piano. And that was the day I learned how to flirt in French for the very first time. It was uh, like a very snap uh, uh, learning. And I did really well because we, we became boyfriend-girlfriend soon after that. So I spent the rest of the year with Francois, a piano tuner slash musician slash wine enthusiast. And I I just soaked up everything about that year. For example... Francois and I would sneak into the biggest piano store in Bordeaux. He worked there, so he had the keys, at night. 
And we, before we snuck in, we would practice these piano duets, me on my piano in my bedroom and he in his piano in his apartment. And we'd sneak in and we would play the concert grand pianos that they stored there. We'd put the tops up. He would play the Steinway. I would play the Busendorfer. And I would just imagine, and not imagine, these were the pianos that the great solo piano artists like Maurizio Pollini or Michiko Uchida, they played on these pianos and even our mistakes sounded beautiful. It was, it was just a lovely, lovely experience. Every day after school, I would go to Francois's apartment and, um, he introduced me to this amazing record that he had. We had records back in those days. It was Yo-Yo Ma playing the Bach solo cello concertos. I had never heard that piece of music before, and I played it over and over and over again. Well, before we knew it, it was, it was, um, Christmas. And, um, that Christmas, I received the most romantic gift that I had ever received before or since. <laughs> Francois gave me a cello. And it was a Suzuki cello. My name's Wendy Suzuki, so it's very cool. And it was even more romantic because I don't even play the cello. It, it was just this, this amazing gift. So we spent the rest of the year, me, you know, trying to learn how to play the cello and, uh, continuing our adventures around Bordeaux. And of course, we ended that year just pledging, we are going to stay together, my 21 year old self. I just, I know you are the one. We're going to stay together. We're going to somehow do this. But before we did that, I had to go back and finish my senior year at UC Berkeley. So I went back and things changed. Things changed because I got back into my academic, uh, um, life and I knew I wanted to go to graduate school. I knew I wanted to go to study the brain. And I got into a great graduate school. And somewhere in there, I realized that Francois didn't speak English at all. And he, he was a piano tuner who didn't speak English. And that would be hard because I was going to be going to graduate school. So I decided I was going to break up with him. And so I called him one day and I still remember where I was sitting in my little, little studio apartment in Berkeley. And it was clear in my mind. I was just going to explain it to him. And I started explaining it to him and it didn't go well. He, he kept saying, you promised, you promised. And he was absolutely right. I did promise and I broke my promise and he got really mad. And then I got really mad. And he got even madder, and I got mad back at him. And you know those old telephones? We both took the telephone and we slammed it down. That's the best thing about the old telephones. You could really <laughs> slam it down. And I slammed it down. But I felt awful because he was right. I had promised, and I broke my promise. And I did a terrible job at breaking up with him. He was my first love, and I was never broke up with anybody before. And I didn't know how to fix it. So I just moved forward. Fast forward 30 years, went through all my education, ended up in New York City in the middle of a bad breakup. It was really bad. I, I needed something to lift me up. And luckily, I have a friend, Inessa. She is a feng shui expert. She's actually a post-breakup feng shui expert. <laughs> And she was going to be in town. This is true. 
She was going to be in town for just a day. She lives in Florida. So I said, please, Ines, I need you to come over and help me. So she came to my apartment bearing burning sage and beautiful Balinese bells and prayer flags. And she did this wonderful ceremony. But the part I love the best is when we started going around the apartment and we started looking for things that came from old boyfriends. And we had a box. And she would say, you know, do you want to keep this? Came from an old boyfriend. And I would look at it and I said, put it in the box. And every item I put in that box, I could feel the energy shift in my apartment. I was feeling great. We only had one more room to go. It was the bedroom. So we went into the bedroom and I flung open my walk-in closet. And I saw it. Way in the back of the closet, looking like a, a lonely soldier, all alone, was my cello. And the closet, as you know, is not very big. So Inessa saw this big, big old thing. And she said, what's that? And I wasn't prepared. And I started talking really fast. And my voice got really high. And I was trying to explain that this also came from bad uh, from boyfriend. And I suddenly started to cry. And she calmed me down. And she said, so what do you want to do? And I had a snap decision. I hadn't played that cello in at least 10 years. And I said, I want to donate the cello to celloless children that need a cello. <laughs> and, and she said, I think that's a great idea. And so we finished up the feng shui ceremony. I was feeling so light and airy. I had a plan. And she left and felt really good. Immediately, a friend of mine said, actually, my daughter plays the cello. Let me take it and have it evaluated to see whether maybe I might buy it from you. So we took it. And that's when I learned the bad news. The cello had a really bad crack in it, right in the middle of the soundboard, because it had been sitting in the back of my closet for so long. But then another friend said, no worries. I know the best cello crack repairman in New York City. And I know a bunch of celloless kids that need cellos donated to them. So this was fantastic. And then something happened that usually doesn't happen. I don't know if you can tell, but I have a type A personality. <laughs> and when I have a plan of action, I like to execute. I like to check those things off of my checklist. And so I had a big plan. For some reason, I couldn't get it done. I, I knew exactly where I needed to go. Couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. Till one day I realized I didn't want to give my cello to a celloless child. <laughs> I, I wanted to keep that cello. I wanted to take the lessons, but I, I couldn't even do that because of that terrible breakup 30 years ago. So I decided I needed to call Francois. I needed to fix this, but I hadn't talked to him in 30 years since I slammed that phone down. But I went to my computer and I went to Google and I Googled piano tuners in Bordeaux and there was nothing that came up. And then I clicked images. Fifth row down. <laughs> Francois, he looked good. He, he looked older, but he was looking really good. And there was a telephone number from uh, a studio in Bordeaux that he worked at. So the next morning, I woke up at 5.30 a.m. You know, there's six hours ahead, and I wanted to call in the morning. 5.30 a.m., called the number, and I said, can I speak to Francois in my broken French? And, of course, the French guy says, what? And he said, does Francois work there? And he says, no. 
And I said, do, do you know him? And he says, yes, he comes in to work only when I need piano tuning. So he did know Francois. And so I explained, I was an old friend from the United States and I was looking for a cell phone number. And he said, oh, well, I'm not at work. Call me back in 30 minutes. So I said, fine. Hung up the phone, went back to sleep for 30 minutes, woke up at 6 a.m., called him. True to his word, he gave me Francois' cell phone number. In one Google and two phone number phone calls, I had my old boyfriend's cell phone number. And before I got cold feet and asked myself, what are you going to say to this guy from 30 years ago? I dialed this number. On the third ring, somebody answered. I said, Francois? He said, oui. <laughs> I said, hi, it's your old friend from the United States, Wendy Suzuki. Um, how are you? And he says, oh, I'm fine. How are you? And I said, well, you don't seem so surprised that I'm calling. He said, oh, my friend from the studio called me, and he said that an American woman was looking for me, and you're the only American woman that I know, so I thought it was probably you. <laughs> so we both laughed. And um, we, we caught up on our families. But at some point, I paused and said, you know, Francois, the, the reason I'm calling today is that I realized that that year that we spent together was life-changing for me. It was one of the best years of my entire life. And I never thanked you properly for it. I felt so bad about that breakup, and I just needed to call you to tell you how much I appreciated that year. And there was a very long pregnant pause. And at the end, very quietly, Francois said, Merci, Wendy. Thank you. He said, I I had such a hard time after that breakup, but I'm so glad we're connected again. And we exchanged email numbers, and I can tell you that that cello visited the best cello crack repairman in the city and now sits in a place of honor in my living room with its own private humidifier right next door to it that I fill every night so that it won't crack again. And I think, you know, I gave up Francois for science. But in the end, I became a neuroscientist that studies how experiences change your brain. And now I know better than ever that that year was so important for me the language that he taught me, I never would have learned French as well if I hadn't been with Francois, that changes your brain. All of the food and the culture he in introduced me to, all that novelty was so good for my brain. Okay, all the wine probably wasn't so good, but you have to take the bad with the good. And most importantly, he was my first love. He gave me a huge dose of dopamine that was very, very positively affecting my brain. <laughs> but most importantly, I think about all the possibilities that have opened up in my life because I decided to fix that crack. Thank you.
That was Dr. Wendy A. Suzuki. Wendy is a professor of neuroscience and psychology in the Center for Neuroscience at New York University. She received her undergraduate degree in physiology and human anatomy at UC Berkeley in 1987, studying with Professor Marion C. Diamond, who was a leader in the field of brain plasticity. Wendy went on to earn her PhD in neuroscience from UC San Diego in 1993 and completed a postdoctoral fellowship at the National Institutes of Health before accepting her faculty position at New York University in 1998. Her major research interest continues to be brain plasticity. She is best known for her extensive work studying areas in the brain critical for our ability to form and retain new long-term memories. Important stuff. More recently, her work has focused on understanding how aerobic exercise can be used to improve learning, memory, and higher cognitive abilities in humans. Wendy is passionate about teaching, about exercise, and about supporting and mentoring up-and-coming students. We are so grateful to Wendy and Choksi for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is led by me, Executive Director Liz Neely, and by Artistic Director Aaron Barker. We couldn't do any of this without our Deputy Director Nissa Greenberg, Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, and the rest of our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Aaron Barker, Gastor Almonte, Zach Stovall, and Nissa Greenberg, our powerhouse New York team. The podcast is produced by senior podcast editor Jun Chen with help from Gwen Hogan. Our theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall and Le Poisson Rouge for hosting our shows. Special thanks to you, uh, lovebirds, people out there. If you're in love, if you like love, if you're sick of it, if you're getting over heartbreak, um, we're thinking of you. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.